One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. First of all, thank you all for coming and joining in today. It's been it's been a very um, interesting and however you would describe it for yourself. Some people describe it as sad. Some people describe it as uh, whatever adjective you would describe this last week as. And for me, um, I think it's really important to start this conversation just by saying that this started, this energy and this feeling started long ago uh, for me and my friends who are joining me today, who I introduced in just a second. Um, A lot of things that have come to light over the last few weeks and months is just a culmination of life and life as a black person in general. And while things that have happened in this past week are very sad and can make you angry and bring up a lots of different emotions, you know, for us, it's been something that's been in our, in our core for a very long time. And I am, while I'm not happy, I am feeling a little bit like my voice is being heard a little bit more and I can express myself a little bit more. And that's why I really appreciate you coming and allowing yourself to be uncomfortable today. Uh, Because for a lot of you, you may not know um, how we as black people feel in times like this. So without further ado, I want to first introduce um, my two friends. But first, I want to introduce Erica Vane, who is a story writer, a storyteller, a writer, a storyteller, um, an amazing friend. I should have said that first. She's also brand strategist for Team Shantee. Um, she is the person for all of you out there. She researches you every day to make sure that I am able to connect with you all in such a great way and making sure that I continue to spread the message from the core of who I am. Even though it's something I do naturally, she really does a lot of research on you all. So you know that we are really putting out content and giving you guys the things that really connect you to me because as business grows, it gets a little crazy. So everyone needs a little Erica in their lives. (laughs) And for those of you who have uh, joined or have ever looked at shantylife.com, Erica is editor-in-chief of shantylife.com. So you'll see other things from her and on there. Uh, So without further ado, I introduce you, Erica Vane. Also, she is a, an amazing woman from Baltimore. So if you just want to know where she's from, and I'm sure she'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Next person I want to introduce is my first friend in L.A. A lot of you have read my book, and a lot of you have um, kind of been on a journey with me for a very long time from Hip Hop Abs and beyond. And so Don Draco Leonte Johnson, a.k.a. Draco, is number one. He was my first friend and still one of my best friends in the like my, one of my favorite humans in the entire world. Also, um, Draco is a world-renowned choreographer and dancer. I'll let him tell you his accolades, but I think the most recent big thing you did was Ghostbusters. So for anyone who's seen the movie Ghostbusters, Draco is uh, a choreographer in that movie and many other movies and music videos. We danced together for years. We danced with Mariah Carey together. So for those of you who know I danced with Mariah Carey, and just been a great friend along the way. So I, uh, the last thing I want to do, because, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much, but I do want to open this up by you all knowing while we're here today, you know, there's a lot of conversations going on in the world. 
And I commend all of my friends who are non-black, who have reached out to me, not understanding what's going on, not knowing how to react. And I've had many conversations with, you know, my white friends and my Filipino friends and all different types of friends. But it is very different talking to and having conversations with your black friends because it is a completely it's less of explaining what's going on and diving into why is this happening and us kind of lifting each other and building each other up. So before we get started in the listening conversation, well, actually, this is a part of it. I just want to talk about, I want to have Erica explain what happened to her just yesterday while she was in class on a black, aspiring black writers class and call on Zoom. Erica, I'll let you take this away. Yeah, um... Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you guys so much for being here and listening into this conversation. Um, to me, it's it's a little crazy that this just happened yesterday, but I was on a Zoom call, as Sean mentioned, and uh, we were hijacked. I don't know. It, was, it had to be between four or maybe six different people who had infiltrated our call. And during the course of this showrunner who works on the, um, the show 13 Reasons Why and a bunch of other big shows, um, took over her presentation and started to write and excuse the language, but we're going to have a raw conversation. They wrote the word nigger on the screen. They wrote Floyd deserved it. They proceeded to write um, and draw swastikas. They drew penises. They drew um, just all types of deformation and just nasty things. And then in addition to what we were visually seeing, they also unmuted themselves and started to play Donald Trump's racist rhetoric. They started to play um, audio that was saying sexual innuendos. They were calling out racial slurs. And I am still processing it because as, as Sean mentioned, it happened yesterday. But that is a prime example for me of what it is like every day for us. It's not that we are walking around and experience such blatant racism, but it's you, we have to be prepared to kind of like deal with that. And I don't want to jump too much more into it. Like I definitely will be open to answering questions. Um, I am so appreciative for my tribe um, both non, non-black non friends and black friends, but like Sean mentioned, it's a very different conversation when you have a conversation with your black friends. And after that happened yesterday, I leaned on my black friends very hard to find um, some peace and comfort because in addition to the, the, the trauma in which situations like that um, incur, they also spark and trigger memories of previous traumas and when we have conversations with our black friends we're able to really dive into that and process that and try to heal ongoing heal from that um i received messages from all friends so i am very much so appreciative of that but that is definitely something to note as well uh thank you for sharing that erica because as we talked what was it 10 or 10 30 last night you know you were still affected by something that happened earlier on in the day um, and I'm gonna come back to you because there's another story that I think people should know. But I do want to, um, you know, I want to now begin the listening, the instead of us talking to you, like really listening to what it's like to hear us talk to each other and, um, and, and see how it differs from other conversations you're having. When you saw uh, that video of George Floyd having a knee in his neck for nine minutes, what, what were the things, feelings that were going through your mind? I felt fear. Fear, like, you, you, you cl- click on the video and you know what's happening because you see it, but when you're watching it, it's almost like you're experiencing it in real time. And I saw fear, and then I started to see all the black men in my life in mm-hmm. that position. So that would probably be the first thing that came to mind. And then, then grief, like then the morning of watching, you know, someone lose their life that takes over you in that moment. Yeah. It's so interesting because like, for me, everyone is obviously focused on George Floyd and they're focused on what's happening. And for me, I immediately, and I think I may have talked a little bit about this in my podcast, but I immediately start going back to my grandfather's face. And that's why it was like super tough for me. My grandfather was the same complexion. Uh, 
and and listen, I know that George Floyd didn't have like this amazing track record and like he was convicted of crimes. But for me, I understand detainment. I don't understand after someone is unconscious why you still need to to invoke that kind of physical harm to a person who is unconscious. And so, you know, and here's where it gets interesting. The the type of conversations that I had with my grandfather when I was young and him like really teaching me to respect everyone and him teaching me to respect everyone, even after he, he was, you know, targeted for being black. And then it, and then it just escalated to the time. And I know this has nothing to do with, uh, what we saw on screen, but I'm just trying to help you understand like the things that, the emotions that went through me, the time where I was in my bedroom at like 10 o'clock at night, going to bed, getting ready for school or going to sleep for school the next day. And my grandfather, the strongest man I know stuck in a tub because it was the first time he realized he had prostate cancer and he couldn't pee. And he was just like, and so I'm helping this at the time, 78 year old man who I love dearly. I'm picking him up out of the tub, you know, kind of like, seeing him naked for the first time in very in a very vulnerable state. And so, and all the stories that he told me over his life and like the, the struggles that he went through. And so, you know, when I see George Floyd and when I see that thing and I see that time and I see that struggle, it takes me to the, to the most powerful black man that I knew personally. Right. So it just becomes this really, and then it just starts to conjure up all the feelings and thoughts and like the things that we were taught as young people. And, you know, for me, that was just like one of the, the saddest things that I could have, I remember going through. So what were some of the things that, you know, went through your mind as all this started to come about when you saw the George Floyd murder happen? Well, when I seen the George Floyd murder happen, I, like, like both of you guys said, so many things and, it's, and it brings back, like you say, it brings back things that happened prior to this. You know I mean? It just brings back so many things. And when I looked at that, that could have been my dad, my uncle, my granddad, my great-grandfather. It could have been me. You know what I mean? Like, I've been in a position similar to that. So you know, it just brought up a whole bunch of things from the past, things that, I, that I've experienced personally and things that all of my friends have experienced. And the fact that people with eight people, not for us. We've seen similar things happen before. It's like no one's going to, and your first, my heart is like, is, I wonder is anyone going to say anything or even care? Or it's going to be like, oh my God, sorry for him. And everybody move on with the rest of their life. And we're left up to try to figure out what, who's next, you know? Mm, that's a very so, thing, powerful it, thing. It, like it, it, and, and then, of course, you get, I get angry as, of course, a black man who has to experience similar things. I've been pulled out of a car before. I've been tossed to the ground before. I've had everything out of my car, tossed out of my car, and then held on the side of the street for hours for nothing. Absolutely nothing. And, and I no think, so I, you never told me that story. Tell me that story. I um, was in Burbank, and this is when I had moved to L.A. This is one of the stories. And me and a couple of friends were leaving, I think, like a dance class. Me and Chuck and a couple other friends were leaving the dance class. And for some reason... There was no tent on the window. It was like a Mitsubishi Mirage, Mitsubishi Mirage and the cops just pulled us over. And I was like, what happened? And I was at speeding. And I think, I'm not sure what happened after that. All I know is another car came to the other side of the car. And then he was like, all you guys get out. They pulled us out of the car. And we're like, what is going on? Was I speeding? Did I run a light? Because I was talking and laughing with my friends. I'm like, did I, did I miss something? No. Pulled everything out of my car. Do you have a warrant? I'm like, I have no warrants. There's nothing in the car. Put all my stuff out the trunk and left it there. We was on the side of the street for literally probably like 45 minutes to an hour, angry. And we knew there was nothing we could do because the power's on the other side. And that, it reminds me of a story. Erica Draco has never heard this story. What was your story about? Tell them your story about in college. Ooh. Um... That's my I've had a few experiences with cops, but one specifically um, where a gun was put in my face. And for me, it it still 
it resonates because I grew up in Balt, like inner city Baltimore, mm. and the fact that I made it out of Baltimore without ever having a gun pulled on me, and then the first time a gun is pulled on me is by a white cop in New Orleans while I'm in college. That is something that I'm still processing and dealing with like 15 years later. Um, but basically, uh, while I was in college, I worked at, I was a collegiate basketball player and volleyball player, but I also worked at a movie theater and I worked with one of my teammates and she used to drive us to work and she is a very light skinned black girl. So she's a black girl who presents white. Um, and she was driving, it was in her car, it was an older model Mercedes. The tents were very heavy on the side, but not so much in the front. Um, a cop pulls us over and he's on a motorcycle and he cuts us off. We're getting on a ramp. He cuts us off from the front and then so he can see into the front window. And I'm assuming that he saw, I guess, a white person and a black person. And he approaches the car from my side, pulls his gun out and makes us roll the windows down and then shoves the gun in my face. So like you guys um you guys ran that light you did this i know like what's going on and he's like yelling and doing all this stuff but i'm like sitting in the passenger side and just like well i'm not even the one behind the wheel like she could literally pull off right now i have no control but i have this gun in my face and i'm like what part of procedure is this like at the end he wound up giving her a ticket for running a red light um or for making a right turn on a red light because she wasn't supposed to do that, but I don't even understand that. And um, I wound up having to report it to my, my school and then my school had to follow up with the New Orleans police. And ultimately that cop got fired, but it's like that to me, I, it, I will never have answers for exactly why I had to have a gun pulled on me in the passenger mm -hmm. seat of a car that supposedly just, made a right, a right turn on a red light. You know, and so some of these conversations, hearing Draco's story, hearing your story, it validates my fear. And so for me, like, and I'm going to be very honest with y'all, like before I had conversations with you guys, I was, I'm, one of the things that I struggle with mostly, and I still get emotional about it, is like, am I overreacting? Like, mm -hmm. I was like, am I overreacting? Am I overreacting about this? I, that was one of the reasons why I went into the conversation with my family, like, already mad because I'm already, like, fighting myself to be allowed to feel this way. You know what I'm saying? So, right. Draco, the other day when I called you in a car and I was like, hey, Draco, and you're like, you know, friend, I'm just, you know, I just want to check up on you. And the first thing you said is, the first thing Draco said was, you know, Sean, we grew up in a way where we had to act right when we left our house. He had, didn't even know I had just recorded that in my podcast. Like, he had no idea. And I was like, it, friend, talking to you that day, like, validated so much of what I was going through because I was like, you know, I, I lead, and, and, I, and I say lead in a very loving way, I lead mostly 80% white women on this amazing journey and I you know I never I look I know they white you know what I mean I don't look at race but I know they white you know yeah so for me it was just like I'm like these people who love me and I love them could possibly think I'm overreacting so then I questioned myself and so when I called you on the phone that day I was like so I felt like so much better about myself because I was like okay it's not just me you know I'm married to a white man my you know the only black person I'm around is Sander. He has no clue, you know, right, right, who right. Race is. And so, you know, and I talked to Erica often, but it was, it was just like, really like, it was like so emotional, like talking to you about that because you are a black guy and, and you just said, you know, we were taught to leave the house and it was something else you said that was really interesting is, and you said, you were like, our parents are like, just get back home. Those parts are very sensitive to me because I'm like, people sometimes don't know what it feels like to be, a black parent to have to talk to your black children when they leave the house every day. You know what I mean? That's the conversation that either your parents go teach you, your aunts or your grandparents go teach you, or the streets will teach you mm -hmm. that when you leave this house, you, you their, their main goal is to get you back home safe. No matter what you do, get my child back home safe. You know, they're not, not even safe from just a random person, but safe from the people that's supposed to protect you because they know, you know what I mean? And 
we're taught, you smile. You, you're taught at a young age, make sure you don't seem aggressive. Make sure you smile. Make sure you, make sure you not, don't hold yourself not at a, an aggressive, don't, be, don't look aggressive. You know what I mean? People are not going to like you because of X, Y, because of the color of your skin. And only black parents have to teach their children that. You know what I mean? Because they're scared for their, somebody that they love and putting out to this world, and they know that the world really doesn't care that much for them. I think you the know? other thing you said just about smiling, you know, there, I'm, you guys know I'm, like, so authentic, and I, like, keep it very real, and I'm, like, real, most, you know. <laughs> so, but, you know, it also, like, brought up the times where I would have to go into a store you know, or shopping for something. And I'm not in a good mood t- that day. Like, right. I'm like everybody else. I'm like, let me put on my little right. sunglasses and my hat and, like, my hood. And let me just go do my little shopping because it's putting me in a good mood because maybe me and Scott got into an argument. I don't right. know, you know, like, for whatever reason. But then I can't act like that when I walk into a store. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I can't be mad. I can't be like, no, I, you know, I don't feel like being bothered today. Like, I have to now be like, okay. I'm this super friendly guy. And you know, like, I, you know, so it, it, that's the other thing that's just like so crazy. Or even in Can school. we talk about that for a second? No. Yes. Can we talk about like, because, yeah, okay, my, my face is naturally resting bitch face. <laughs> like, I could be completely fine, like, completely <laughs> fine. But this is my natural face. Mm-hmm. But we're taught that there are certain tactics and things that we need to do when we go out of our house every day to make sure that we do not threaten any people, regardless of whether it's white or whatever, any people Mm -hmm. to make sure that we um, navigate certain spaces, not taking up too much space, not being too loud, not drawing too much attention. And this is stuff that has been baked in, to our livelihood every single day of our lives. And for me, I sit like, after that happened yesterday to me, I called up like a bunch of my friends and then I wind up recording a video and I was just very honest and I started crying. And even that is like against what you're supposed to do. Because you're supposed to hold your, like you're supposed to hold your tears back because you don't, you don't get to make someone feel guilty because you're crying. You don't get to make like, you don't get to make someone feel uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable and you have to hold that expression. Like even now having these type of conversations, I'm like at the brink of tears. It's like, girl, don't, you don't cry. Don't mm-hmm. cry. You don't get to cry. And that's something is a conversation that a lot of people aren't having. Erica, you just hit the nail on the head. You're not, we're not allowed to cry. We're not, it's almost like you're not, you're not allowed to have a feeling for being who you are. You know what I mean? You, we're, you're taught to, we, we all are like, you know what? You hold it together. Don't make no dramatic moves. Don't you cry about it. Don't you do nothing. You hold your head up high and you get back here and say, we're not allowed to do that. So we have to almost like shut down your emotion and your feelings to make sure you doesn't make somebody else. You have to be uncomfortable to make somebody else un- not be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And it's not, yep. that makes any sense if I'm saying that correctly. You are. Like, and then it's move on. And then after you on. shut your feelings down, it's move on. So then also what people are seeing now is years and years of moved on. And yes. that stuff has not gone anywhere. It's just on my back. Yes. I have been carrying this A for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yesterday, Erica, when I saw you, uh, I, don't, I, I think the emotions are coming out of me because, you know, like sometimes I'm just like so sick of having to be strong all the right. time, you know, but, and I don't mind crying, but like today I'm just like annoyed. I think right. because of you guys are talking about this stuff and, you know, I hope that you guys who are listening in, like, I hope you can understand like where Erica said, it's like on your back and it's on your back. And like you said, it's like, you don't realize it's on your back. You know, like you really don't because like I literally love all, like if you look at my Rolodex of friends, you like, like it, they're everything from like Spanish to Turkish to white to black to some people that, you know, to trans, like I got a new trans friend I'm excited about, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Like I can't wait to go to his house, but you know, and it's like, and Ah, there's so many things that I want to say. Uh, but there was one thing I want to say that was related to something you said. It's like I was actually driving here to my work Airbnb and me and Scott's getaway space last night. And 
Y'all, I'm listening to a podcast. I got my little hat on. I'm having a good old, like, I'm so happy to get away from my kids. Like, I'm in this, like, you know, <laughs> elevated state of bliss. I'm two blocks away from this Airbnb. I come to a light. I'm the second light behind the red light, the second car in line at the red light. I look over to my left. I see a cop. You want to know the first thing that comes to my mind? Where's my, where's my license? Fuck, my license is in the back in the trunk. If I have to get out of this car, like, I ain't doing nothing. But these, right. I'm like, okay, like, you, gotta, you got two phones, like, call Scott, see if he can get here right away. Like, there are all these things that I go through when I even just drive and see a cop. And I kind of talked about this in my podcast before the other day, too. But um, it's just saying, like, all of this stuff that's on you. Like, you don't even know that this exists. And all of this that is happening is, like, is actually, I think, what a lot of people are seeing is allowing us to express this. And I think that, um, you know, another thing I want to say, and you guys can talk, too, but... The other thing I want to say is to everyone who is listening in, like, I don't think everybody's a racist. I, I've, I've never encountered it in my live events, you know. So the other thing that's really tough for me is to have to, like, have this strong voice where most of the people that I interact with don't even think that way, aren't even racist toward me, love me for who I am, probably don't even see. I mean, they know I'm black, but they don't see me for black, you know. And so that's the other tough part is, like, it goes back to like, okay, I'm probably going to make people who weren't before anyway thinking that way are uncomfortable, a little bit uncomfortable because I'm, I'm shedding this light in my true feeling. Right. I, I, um, it's so crazy Sean, because literally I feel like a lot of people don't understand as when the cops come up or you see the light or the cop can just come by what feeling that feels for a black person. Oh, it is just the, the feeling most. in the inside. And Even just the- driving past you, like, yeah, we are aware. Like, I when I'm driving, if there is a cop three cars behind me, I know it. Yes, yes. And yes. it's different than because everybody probably does, right? But everyone knows it. I think that, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm I, think, think, I don't know if they, they see them, but it doesn't it doesn't feel the same. Well, there, there's different. There's a difference between seeing a cop and being like. Let me make sure I got everything in place because I just saw a black man get shot or killed yeah. for doing nothing than being like, you know, oh, my God, I'm going to get a ticket or, you know, my license plate. You know, that's the difference, you know. But that's the thing. That's the, sorry, but sorry for cutting you off. Man. But that's the thing I was talking about. We're taught that you just get home safe. If the cops pull you over, I'm fine. With, give me the ticket. I ain't going to ask you nothing. Give me. I'll take the ticket. Mm-hmm. I'll take that ticket with no problem. As long as I get that ticket and go. But that's also a part of, I think that we haven't talked about this, but the privilege in America and the privilege part that some people don't realize is there because they don't have to go through those things just like we have to go through those things. Those people are not going to, well, not all, and I don't, I'm also somebody who don't believe that all cops are bad. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. But from just from experiences before, you already think when they show up, they're not here to protect you. You know what I mean? They're not here to protect. You can have you can have the license. Those licenses could be great. Those the, the the insurance could be amazing. The registration it could be a brand new car. You can have all that stuff out, but that does not mean that they're not going to pull you out and slam you to the ground. They, they, that's not what that means because mm-hmm. they already got in your head that you got looking at you. He clearly got a record. Our skin tone, our skin tone automatically to me, when it comes to situations, particularly with racist cops, because we're not going to speak on all cops, our skin tone tells them that we're defiant. We don't even have to open our mouth. So if you say, what are you pulling me over for, which you have the right to say, the situation for us is already escalated because they entered in that way. Yes. Mm. Yes. I definitely want to go back really quick, if we can, to what you said, Sean, about tired of being strong I feel that in my soul like in every ounce of my spirit and my soul I, I think that and then also I'm going to tie in the, the conversation about you know exposing your audience who don't display you know racist tendencies or behaviors or ideals exposing them to this uncomfortable conversation I think that what's so powerful about what's happening now is that 
yes, we are exposing people who, who are not racist or may not be racist to this, but it's because we need them. Mm. It's because not only is the issue racist people, it is the systems that racist and non-racist people have built yes. and now feed that are, that are fueling further oppression. So yes, the conversation is uncomfortable for everyone, but the institutions that are put in place to target us, to oppress us, to limit us have to be addressed and they cannot be addressed by us solely because we're not the ones in power. We didn't create them. Absolutely. If this was a problem that we could eradicate on our own, trust me, we would have done it. It'd have been done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the, I have been feeling for a couple of years now, the whole thing about just tired of being strong because as a black woman, that like, if you want to be somebody, if you come from the hood, you yeah. need to be strong. Period. You don't get to cry. Like, and then in addition to, you have to be strong for yourself. You have to be strong for your family. You have to be strong for your friends. And I have found myself countless times turning around and looking like, well, who's going to be strong for me? Like, when do I get to feel what I'm feeling? And when do I get to, when do people get to understand me? I am one of the first people in any situation, regardless of race, to ask someone, how are they feeling? How are they doing? What are you thinking? What's going, like, help people process. And it has taken me a while in cultivating my friendships and really navigating life to find people who have also been able to say, hey, let me check on Erica. Yeah. Because she's always the one asking about everybody else, but who's asking about her? Mm-hmm. And a big thing I think also is going to be powerful for allies in this space is to take up that mantle and to give some people who have been so strong a break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I agree, Erica. For everything that you, like, I'm, now it's working me up because I'm feeling the same way you and Sean feel. It's almost like Sometimes we don't get to express those things because we're not, you know, you're taught to be super strong and never show your emotions and carry the weight of your world, the carry the weight of the world, yours and majority of everybody else's on your back. And you never get a chance to take those weight off and sit out and relax your feet a little bit because the moment you do, something crazy happens. You know what I mean? So I, 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 yeah. It's, you know, I wanted to ask you guys about something that, it, Erica, you kind of talked about it, you know, just being from the hood. And, you know, what's really interesting is how being from the hood, we a lot, I would say more often than um, more often than our, our white friends, <laughs> we celebrate being the first person to graduate college. We celebrate being the first entrepreneur. We celebrate the first person making over $100,000. We celebrate leaving the hood. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've been seeing a lot of time, a lot of, and I've been wondering, I was trying to figure out a way to, to express and verbalize it is, you know, these stats going around like, well, you know, black people kill more black people than white people. Um, and so, but right. I know that's going, I know, I know, but here's, here's what I want people to understand. I want you guys to dive into that a little more. And Erica, I, I talked to you about this, but, we came over here on a boat. So we were stuffed into a boat. Not, we didn't ask to come to the States. This is like, obviously, years ago. Like, we came over here as slaves. And then so we, we're put over here and we're property and it's slave trading. And we're getting whipped and beaten for not wanting to do. And then we got the house niggers. And then we got the, 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 the people in the field. And yes, I just dropped that word because that's exactly what they called us, Right. The light-skinned people was here. The dark-skinned people was there. So then they tried to separate and divide us, right? So then now you got Harriet Tubman, who was like, yo, we got to get out of here. So, you know, we had this big movement. Then you have Martin Luther King. You have this big movement. 
But one of the things that didn't happen was the lifting up and the integration of all black, black lives matter too, to get us, because now we're stuck in, I don't want to say stuck because I love the hood, but I mean, we're stuck in that struggle and there's no help. There's no one reaching down to help us through the struggle or how to get out of the struggle. Like it has to be voted on to, to send in help and put in money in a place where there's lots of oppression, right? Where most of my family is from Camden, New Jersey. Like if you roll through there, man, like I go back there and I'm just like, this is like the craziest thing that there are even parts of our country where the struggle is real. Um, and still, the struggle is still. Uh, and then you have, uh, I, I just have so many things. But anyway, we came over here on the boat and now we're still with our community because we don't leave our people. But that community is still filled with struggle and oppression. And then what happens is like, what's the way I can get out? Because, uh, you know, I can get education. But even being from the hood, like not everybody is like given that power to be strong enough to get out of the hood. And then when you get out of the hood, like I don't this. And this is another thing where I feel like guilty of. I'm like, well, I don't want to put a million dollar house in the hood because I know it's a high crime area. Like these are things that people don't want to talk about. So then you're like, oh, well, then I'm just going to go move to another neighborhood, which takes me to my major point here. Are y'all following along here? I'm following. I'm following. I am locked in. Which takes me to this. I'm moving on up to the east side. Do you know, like, the lyrics of the song of the Jeffersons is basically, like, even in the song, I started from the bottom, now I'm here. Like, we're still calling our neighborhoods less than, you know, where white people live or, like, where suburban neighborhoods are. Instead of being, like, let's build up this neighborhood so that we don't have to resort to drugs. We, we're not sitting on our porches because we can't get the job or we're waiting for that welfare check. Like, how do we go in and, and, and help build that up? And so I know I just said a lot. <laughs> I was no, like, it, it, you did, but it's, it's all interconnected. And to me, that touches upon when I said the institutions that are put in place uh-huh. to oppress us. Hoods didn't just happen. Right. They were made. Projects were made. Hoods were made to keep black people in a certain place, in a certain way. And unfortunately, a lot of a, a lot of the black community is plagued with lack of education, poorly funded schools, um, lack of resources. Like I made it out of the hood because by the grace of God, I had the parents that I have, but my dad is a is from the Caribbean, had worked his ass off when he got here to go. He came here to go to college, worked his ass off and happened to put me in private school. So he felt as though that would be my only exposure to something else because I needed to see something else that I can get out. I, through God, had talents in basketball, had played basketball since I was in first grade. And my way out of the hood was an athletic scholarship. Mm-hmm. That was how I got out. And so many others that look like me don't necessarily have the opportunity, don't have the people. Like I was blessed to have, you know, coaches and some teachers who saw value in me, saw talent in me and started to pour into me. But so many people don't experience that. And when, when I hear the conversation and the rhetoric around, well, you don't have an issue when black people kill black people. It's like, y'all don't have any idea. No, you have absolutely no idea. I lost, a love of my life in December. He was killed in Baltimore around the corner from my grandmother's house. And those deaths affect us too. We're not just running around giving black people passes because crime is happening, but crime is happening in the hood not because of race. It's happening because of proximity. It's Mm. happening because of lack of resources. So the robbery is going to happen regardless, but because all the black people are together, they're robbing each other. Because all the black people are together, they're killing each other. And nothing but resources and education is going to stop that. Right. So when people have that conversation about black on black crime, no, that's it's not even a valid conversation. Yes, it's not. I agree. I agree. 
I agree. I agree with Erica totally. I'm like that. That that the the black on black crime is always tossed around, tossed around easily and freely to me to make it seem like it's on the same level and it's not. Because any oppressed area have their, you know, if we keep it at 100, 100, we keep it in the book. Like their their deaths that happen in trailer park trash, where there's white on white crime. There's there's crimes that happen in Latino community that's Latin on Latin crimes. But for some odd reason. When you go Black Lives Matter, where y'all kill yourself, and let's just keep 100. We as African Americans probably make up 13% of the whole of this whole thing, and Caucasians, well, I think it's like 70 something percent. And they always say, well, people, well, the 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 they always try to compare the two. You can't compare the two because even on the the crimes that happen in the black community, if the, if statistically if those numbers were equal, we still would ring around being killed by cops to other people that are not black. You see what I'm saying? That makes any sense? Yeah. Hope I'm being clear. You are to me. And then when you say coming out of the hood, like, of course, I'm from South Carolina. I grew we all come from the same type of area. You know what I mean? Like Erica said, the education's not there. The way, the, like, the, it's built, those hoods are built. People come and do things, and pe- black, let's be honest, people go in the hood and do things, and the people in the hood are blamed for something that they totally probably didn't even do. The jails are filled with things. The jail, these, the 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 jail system is filled with African American people who absolutely did anything, but somebody put something on them and they got stuck there. You see, because they didn't have money to make bail because, like, and that's a very very real thing. And when you say they come and there are people who are doing things in the hood, that's also very real. Around the corner from my grandmother's house to this day is some type of opioid clinic where they actually are giving away drugs yeah. in part of testing programs to yeah. like try to wean people off, but you see nothing but fiends yes. around. Yeah. But you can't come place that in Beverly Hills. You can't even go up the street in Baltimore to Towson where, where the white folks are and put that there because they would never let it come into their community. Right, right, right. But right. we get a liquor store every 50 feet. We get, you know, um, houses that are allowed to be, like in Baltimore, the vacant home situation is very real. Yeah. That would never fly in certain areas in Baltimore City. But in the hood, everything goes. And then and- we want to turn around and say, well, look at y'all community. Look what you have done to the community. And I'm not going to say that black people as a whole are like 100, we're the victims and everything. We didn't do anything. But like, let's talk about the situations that set us up. Right. Not just right. the results. Right, 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 right. And, you know, I, I was either listening to something or read an article. I don't know how many articles I've read this week. <laughs> but um, just even about prison beds being filled or maybe it was danielle's daughter but prison beds being filled they make money off of that like so our prison system is a for-profit corporation if you guys have not seen it watch the documentary 13th by ava duvernay it breaks down the 13th amendment and it breaks down the prison economic system in this country Mm -hmm. and how these corporations use politics to make money off of black and brown bodies being funneled mm-hmm. into these prisons. Yes. Yeah, and so and people think like, oh well, you know, why they get convicted? And you know, I don't know if you've listened to season three of the podcast Serial, but she um, she goes into the Justice Center in Ohio. I forget what city, either Cincinnati or somewhere. But she goes into the Justice Center and going into these like different courtrooms. And I think it's just fascinating, not in a good way fascinating, but it just sheds a lot of light on the justice system in general. But um, when I when I read that article this week that and someone just put in here, like our our prison system is the only uh, for profit system. You know, it's like, let's make money filling up these beds. Where do you think they're going to go to fill up the bed? They ain't going to the suburbs. They ain't right. going to the, right. to, the, to the Upper East Side. Right. And, and, and Sean, and the crazy part about it is this is how you know it's a problem. Because anytime anybody commit a crime or do something that's illegal, the first person they blame it on is one of us. And guess what? I just seen one of the, like, besides... Out of everything that's been going on, it's been a lot going on. We all know it. I came on this this video of this woman pushing her autistic son in a canal in Florida. And she literally pushed him in a canal 
and then ran and said that two African-American males had kidnapped her son. And do you not think that they would have found two black boys and stuck them in a jail because, because she said that? She said so. If it wasn't for the camera that was on the light, in, on the camera that was in the park where, where the canal was, show her walking to her, pushing him in there and running off. But the police were definitely looking for two African-American males. And they would have found them. And they would have easily. And the, thing, the craziest thing about that is her neighbors saw her, I think a week before, attempt to kill him then. So between the camera and then the neighbors. But if it was, they didn't have that, it oh. would have been two other black yeah. bodies. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, um, you know, just kind of one more thing about that is... is and he died, sorry. We left, the, left that part out. She oh, pushed no. him in, in a canal and he died. Yes, he did. Yep. That's just too much. That's just too much. It's just too the, much. The, we get blamed for all these, for a lot of things. The looting um, and all of it. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I could stay in that for a minute, but I want to actually go uh, just kind of bring something up, just kind of talking about the beginning of quarantine, right? So we are in this place in the, in the U.S. As a, as a whole, or the world, I should say, as a whole. And our world was rocked, you know, in March when heavy quarantine started to happen. And, um, you know, a lot of things started to happen during quarantine, like, you know, domestic violence increase, child abuse, was at an all time is at an all time high. Like um, I actually listened to a podcast where uh, even marital issues, like people who would never uh, wouldn't have otherwise needed a or not needed, but have gone to a therapist for you know marital counseling, you know, is at an all time high. And so you know, so that was the first thing I was like, wow, like the world is like really changing. And then as the coronavirus stats started to come out and you seeing that it was, you know, a, a higher positive um, rates of COVID-19 in the black communities, because in a lot of black communities, we have multi-generations in the house, right? Mm -hmm. And then it was the um, Ahmaud Aubrey thing that happened. And then George Floyd and then Breonna Taylor. And then, so it's like all of these things that are happening, you know, I think, I don't want to use the word exacerbate, but like, you know, we were talking about before how I just conjured up all of these feelings and emotions. And um, I think the thing that I'm trying to say is I just want people to be clear that, and I said this earlier, but I just want people to be clear that it's not only, even though it was powerful for us to speak out, only George Floyd. It's just like a culmination of like society in general. And that includes white people and black people and Asian. Everybody in general is in this like crazy space. We're already fighting each other because some people feel like you can go out and some people don't. Some people think it's a hoax. Some people don't. Some people think, you know, it's a China virus. Some people don't. Like we're already at this crazy divide. And then these other, you know, things start happening. And so we're already at like a a highly elevated state of like divide in our country. Mm -hmm. And it just like, it just like, it just makes me sad because I do, I'm a kind of person that I just believe that if we all like, let's work together to make things better, to keep people healthy, to lift them up, to inspire people to be the best that they can be by holding their hand, by reaching out, you know? And it's just, I don't, I, I think I'm having a really tough time with why is that so difficult to do? Can I, can I say something? When you said about COVID-19, right? This is not to even go back, but when it, the, it putting on masks and going to the stores, and you know, and I'm such a germaphobe already. Yes, you, know, you the, are. I do know that to be true. I, I'm like, yo, don't, but the first thing that went through my mind when I got in my car, the first time I had to put a mask on to go in the store was fear for my life. I wouldn't even think about COVID-19. Mm. I haven't talked, don't you ever cover your face and you smile hard. You got pretty teeth, smile hard when you go into the store. So to put a mask on to go into the store and not be scared of COVID, but, be, but to be scared somebody might think I'm doing something I have that I'm not, it speaks volumes itself. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, how I many other people thought, Oh, I'm just putting on a mask because I want to get sick from COVID. Nah, I ain't think about that. I'm thinking, are they going to shoot me? Think I'm trying to come here and hold them up or something? I am a big buff black boy. I get it. You see what I'm saying? Like, that, I, that, like 
that it terrified me. And I think about it every time I put that mask on to go in a store. And like okay. I said, the world, it's so many, it's so much, it's so many things going on, and it's so many things that has really rocked my nerve and my emotions. Like every time I hear these cases of anything, I always go back to Trayvon Martin. Some, I also was that thirteen-year-old boy who ran into the store to get something in my hood and run home. And we're taught go to the store and come back home, right? You don't think that somebody who's not the cop is going to run after you? Who gonna stop for you? Nobody. Why would I stop for you? I don't know you. It's all. It's my emotions have been all over the place. Sorry for going back, but it's just been. You're fine. Um, and that's another thing that I never, I never talked about or spoke to even Scott about. Like we had this joke in the house when we were in Phoenix. You know, we traveled to Seattle, but we had this joke in the house there. Sean's only been out. Sean only left the neighborhood once since. And my my father in law and Scott are like. You don't like going, uh, first of all, I don't like going to the supermarket anyway. So that's a whole other situation we could talk about because it's cold in there and I just don't got time. But the other thing is that um, just like exactly what you said, I'm just like, man, I ain't even trying to go up here with a mask on. And this might sound so trivial and silly to some people, but and I'm growing my hair out. Like I already got my little afro. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm just like, I just, I don't even, I don't even. How, how about, how, how about this, you guys? I was at um, Sean, Sean and Scott's house for, um, what are we doing? Um, not the boot was camp. It, was it you were, when I put you and Alex in 30 yeah, days? Yes, right? I put Alex and Chip, I mean Alex and Chip. <laughs> I'm always saying Alex and Chip now. I put Alex and Draco through a 30-day boot camp. Right. Um, they wanted to come to the Transformation Center. They wanted to, you know, add a little extra Shanti to their life. And this was like, this was like my first like Transform 20 workouts. Really, they were more weight lifting. Right. I would take them out into the field and like work them out. I was so, killing them. But anyway, go ahead. So you guys, so when the um, Ahmad case happened, you know, he was jogging and, you know, we all know what happened. But in at the moment when we was at Sean's, we had to, man, Alex had to run through the neighborhood and run, you know, to get back to the house. It was a part of our drill. And it's the first thing that went through my head is when I seen the Amaya case, is that's the first feeling that came through my mind when I was running through the neighborhood at y'all house, in, in y'all area. I'm like, these people don't know me. I'm not like, you know, colorism is real. I'm not a light, bright black boy. I'm a chocolate boy. I just can't be running through anybody's neighborhood, you know what I mean, and just running. Thank God Alex was there, but well, it doesn't even matter because Alex could have been there or not, but it still probably would. Those are the things that go through our head, you know, that like easily. We go jogging all the time. And so when, when you, <laughs> when, you know, when um, there was that day of run for Ahmad, remember that day? Mm-hmm. I said... <laughs> Because even though, like, I, I will say this. I live in a, a red state. I have, in my, in my state, in terms of being in my neighborhood, I have never come across any racism, which I'm so thankful for. And even in my neighborhood, you know, they got a, they got a statue of Paul Robeson and, and Harriet Tubman. And, you know, so I'm, like, so thankful. But I still know that, because of like all of this divide in the country, I was like, Mm-mm, you ain't catching me going out there and running. That. There were a lot of people running in my neighborhood, which I, which it was amazing. But I was like, you ain't going to catch me running out there. Not today. Uh-uh. <laughs> I stopped at the Harriet Tubman statue and said, girl, be with me on this journey as I try to make it back safe to this house. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> and that's real talk. It's real talk. I do want to explain to people, um, because we haven't gotten to this level, we've been talking a lot about things that are painful, but Draco is extremely funny, y'all. Like, mm. y'all, one day I should just do a live in my safe space community with Draco just so y'all can laugh, because he is... But you know what? But that goes back to what man Erica was saying. I'm like, there's so much we hold so much. So sometimes all I can do is just laugh and try to find something funny that I can that can give me some more energy to carry the load on my back. Because it was like Erica said. Sometimes I have to call you or call my friends and like unload. And I don't. And I'm the type of guy who don't unload my emotions that easily on everybody because I'm always aware that my other friends got just as much of a load mm-hmm. on their back like I do. So sometimes I'm not try, I, don't, I try not to overwhelm them. So I try, I find naturally, I find jokes in everything. Even through all of this is going on right now, I can see something that's probably so serious and like, oh my God, that could have been something. And I have to find humor in some of those things because it, it, it is... Long story, I was watching something, a little video, and the cops were, I think it was in Atlanta, and they gave this one black cop, you know how they have the shield? They gave him a small, <laughs> they gave the black cop a smaller shield, but the protesters were, they weren't <laughs> aggressive, right? They weren't being aggressive, but one of the guys, one, another black guy went up to the black officer who had, the, they gave him a small shield, he goes, you got that little shield out here, but like he roasted him, and I laughed. <laughs> it is the funniest thing. So those things, I'm like, we still have to find humor to make it through some of this stuff because we have not who all like roll over in the ditch and pass out. We have to find some type of, and I'm like, I'll sit there laughing all day. And I'm looking for it. So, like, there's a video of this one lady who got detained, and she she yeah. made a song. She like, you about to lose your job. And then somebody remixed it. I tell you, I listen to it every day, every day. Wait, have y'all seen the the, the song? On there's a thing on Twitter where. Uh, this guy called up the, it was like the Los Angeles department of like, whatever, like it was, it was something. And they were like the town hall, the town hall. And he called up and he, for 30 seconds, he like let them <laughs> have it. And they turned it into a song. Y'all like, Oh, I didn't hear the song. You know, I'm going to send it to you. They were like, yo, this is the dopest. They either said dopest, like mixtape or like dopest, like interlude or whatever. Like he, it was like, so there are people out there that like are, you know, making things like bringing light and humor mm-hmm. and, yes. you know, to bring it back. Like it's, it was, it's a struggle for me because I love being fun and energetic. Yeah. And, you know, so last week I was just like, I have to like, I have to come out of this only being the only thing I talk about. And thank God I have these amazing two children who are light and joy. I mean, they bad as hell too sometimes, but <laughs> that bring light and joy mm-hmm. to my life and to so many other people's lives. Cause I say to myself, this is the gateway to some sort of happiness for, t- for the day. Mm-hmm. And you know, one day I can't wait to explain that to them, you know, to mm-hmm. say, right. Right. sorry guys, but I used you to make people smile, you know, <laughs> because it's just so, it, it, it really is tough. And, there was a, uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's 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 just we we need it. We we need the like the first week right after George's murder was a very rough week for me, and I was in a very hopeless place. I felt very depressed, um, and I started to like go into myself and like really isolate myself. Um, but we have to find moments of joy we have to find moments of peace we have to find moments of distraction because this is definitely priority one right now but we also have to take care of ourselves because we won't be here to fight and when i think about the jokes and the thing like the finding comedy within this i want you guys that are listening to really understand like you're going to see stuff where it says we love us and you'll see that we remix this thing or we turn something into a song. To me, that goes back to the roots in slavery with slave yeah. songs. You know what I'm saying? Where you had to create something to entertain 
yourself, to uplift yourself, to motivate yourself to get through the hell that you're experiencing. And one thing that I'm starting to see a little bit of like, and this is why it's so important for allies to really listen, because it's not a I love us or black people coming together to exclude you. It's so that we can take care of ourselves to be able to continue. Yes. Mm. Yes. Because no one else is going to take care of us if we don't start it ourselves. And you know what I mean? Thank you guys so much for listening this week. It was a very tough decision to want to put our raw emotions out there. And both Draco and Erica sent me a message after the call, really hoping that they were clear and that you all got a takeaway from it, which is why I really want you to continue to listen next week as we go deeper into this subject. I just hope that you can do the best that you can do to push this message forward and continue to educate yourself and people you love or people that you trust and trust you to help us through this tough time in hopes that everyone can join forces to be a happy, healthy world, community, city, or wherever you live. So make sure you tune in for part two. And it's really important that you subscribe to my podcast. So please subscribe so you never miss an episode.